Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast. I'm Jack. Hello, I'm John. Hi, Jack and John. Uh, this podcast is going to go through top five films in various different categories and genres. We're going to run through like the IMDb list of top five first, and then we're going to talk about what we feel about that, and then also my own top five, John's top five, and then we're just going to talk about you know different aspects that are honourable mention. So this first episode, we're going to kick off with war films. Um, so if I look at the top five IMDb list of war films... In at number five is Inglorious Bastards, 2009. Um, in at number four is Stalag, 17, 1953, which I have not seen. Have you seen that? I've got no idea. I've heard of it, but no idea. When two escaping American World War II prisoners are killed, the German POW camp barracks black marketeer J.J. Sefton is suspected of being an informer. Okay. Stars William Holden. Okay. So William Holden was massive. So I think he was in like things like Nuremberg, the um, trials in Nuremberg as well. So that's number four. Okay. Never heard of it. Okay. Probably, probably not a good one for me to start this podcast but um, no number three and this is probably one of the reasons why we're recording this podcast is the top five lists and stuff are all over the shop but number three in top war films is Braveheart that's an interesting top three which is that's nowhere near my top five uh, number two The Pianist 2002 okay. and number one Saving Private Ryan oh, that's interesting 1998 um, so obviously this is IMDb it's a number of votes and they've got a meta score thing on there as well um, but I would probably say of that top five there's probably only one of them in my top five I think there's probably only one in my top okay. five I don't, know yeah. if it, I don't think it's the same one either so well the pianist is there for me so not for me Saving Private Ryan's there for me okay for almost sentimental reasons but you know I guess well, what's, what, what's the sentimental reason well it's probably one of the first war films I saw I reckon Oh really? Yeah. Oh, what, what year is that? Ninety-eight. And obviously, it's a fifteen. So, without being full disclosure, I was not fifteen in nineteen ninety-eight. <laughs> okay. So I, I was being a bit cheeky watching it, but just the graphic nature of Spielberg's like that first scene on the beach. So this is so this is um, Second World War film. Yeah. Famous for an opening sequence which lasted, I don't know. Maybe fifteen to twenty minutes, Probably, maybe yeah. a little bit longer. Landing on the beaches. Yeah, and like they, film starts in the in those landing bays. Everyone's yeah. like pissing themselves. You know, they're smoking fags and stuff. Um, and they're coming off the landing craft. Yeah, landing craft opens, then they're out there into just hail of bullets and all the rest of it. Getting yeah. on the beach, but obviously there's a few slow mo scenes in that where you've got people just like picking up their arms. Yeah, people are like walking and. And then suddenly they're like in half and stuff, so really graphic. So wasn't that wasn't that famous because, because that was a Spielberg film, wasn't it? Yeah. So that was um, it was kind of obviously the opening sequence f- was famous because of the opening sequence. It's like bang, we're going to st- take you straight into a very graphic, war. very realistic scene about war, setting the tone. Obviously, it's based upon a true story about um, finding some brothers or something like that. Yeah. I think there was another thing that was it was really famous for by um, a lot of the actors were either um, amputees or paraplegics okay. as well and stuff like Did that. Did not know that. 
So that's why that's how they did those scenes, I think. Yeah. So I mean, probably good film to start on. So that's in my top five. Okay. There's loads of stuff we can say about loads of films. But obviously, this podcast will be like five hours long. But obviously, the story of Saving Private Ryan is a a captain Tom Hanks hears about um, a family of brothers. I think it's four brothers, and three of them are wiped out. So they need to save the fourth brother. Um, so the family can continue. I don't know if this is one of those loose American based on a true story things. It sounds a bit far-fetched to me, but the thing that gets me about that first bit is you're straight into war, yeah. but there's like no dialogue yeah. for like 15 minutes. Yeah. And actually Tom Hanks being the main character in the film, uh, apart from Ryan, yeah. who is Matt Damon, yeah. we don't really see much of Tom Hanks yeah. and there's no dialogue yeah. again. So it's like... But he's kind of like the... The character who's driving the film mm. story, if you like, mm. even though you don't see a lot of them. So yeah. it's, it's, it, I think that's quite clever, actually. It is. I think the film turns out to almost be narrated by the Ryan character. Mm. But obviously, a massive part of it at the beginning, he couldn't have narrated. So it's Spielberg being really clever. Yeah. But, you know, there's tons of Do they cut back to his homeland with the mother and stuff? And like, there's, there's information going back to her yeah. about, oh, knocking at your door about um, giving some bad news and stuff yes I think the police police or the art, military police whatever turn up at the Mrs right. Ryan's house and yeah. you know it's, yeah. it's not good news kind of thing but I think it's a short cut scene but, they, but then after that it's almost like it takes you on this journey doesn't it about they go through some of the towns and they're looking for Ryan and they're it's like indisposed in, in, in with like almost like a cut scene about there's a bit of warfare they've got to go through this town here's a bit of warfare um, here's no man's land it's almost like yeah. the reality of war brought it's to civilians life. and there's yeah. like there's a really gritty scene where they're basically just empty a bag of dog tags out and try and find if if Ryan's in there and they're doing it in front of the troops that the, you know, the people have died so it's Spielberg right but the, you know there's also like some gritty Spielberg but there's also almost a bit of Spielberg comedy in there as well for me so there's the thing that stands out for me in it there's an ongoing bet through the whole film right which is what is Tom Hanks the captain what is his profession because he's the captain of the platoon he's the leader but obviously they're conscribed so it's like what's his actual job what does he do back at home and I think they've got a few bets going on about what he does okay and at the end I think he says that he's an English teacher that's great. I, I completely forgot about yeah, that. So I, re- I really remember that because actually you're looking at all these characters as soldiers when obviously, again, yeah. Spielberg being really subtle is actually yeah. like the people. He could build a backstory behind these yeah. characters quite cleverly and layer a film like that. So it, it, I think it keeps you engaged to a certain degree without you even really knowing it. It's not just going from one set piece to another set piece to another set piece. It's almost like on a subconscious level there's other things going on Straight it's very red very Spielberg absolutely now I can see why that would make it into your top five it's like I don't know both really really obvious but also quite subtle at the same time in front of your face on the screen yeah. but I don't know I wouldn't call it out as the top war film of all time which IMDB does 
Um, but it's in my top five. But I, okay. like I said, more for sentimental reasons. But what? So that's so the top five. One so of my one top. One of your hits. One of my top. top five. And, and just to disclose to the listeners here, we're going to try and not necessarily do the top five in order for us because we've thought that was way too hard. So we'll try and do just our top five films. And if there's overlap, great. If there's not, fine. Um, you know, we just want to talk through them. Um, so, John, what would be in your top five? So I, I, I throw a. Um what I think is an absolute classic should be probably in maybe not a top five film of all time but certainly a top 20 film of all time full metal jacket very gritty Vietnam almost like a a double player film about this is what recruitment looks like and this is what warfare looks like Stanley Kubrick doing his take on Vietnam, obviously there was a lot of Vietnam films kicking around in the sort of the 80s uh, decade. All directors wanted the thing, so you had Oliver Stone doing his thing and bits and pieces like that. And it's Stanley Kubrick just goes, "Well, I'll tell you what, have some of this." Basically, yeah. yeah. What what year do you reckon Full Full Metal Jacket was? Great question. Um, well, I said 80s, so I reckon it's probably an 87, 88. On the nose. 87. 87 okay. On the nose. So really interesting though, because like, like you said, Kubrick's just thrown that in there. So I put Full Metal Jacket in my top five as well, actually. Okay. Um, so what was great? Was just, so, so what? I mean, I think for most listeners would appreciate some of the facts about that. So the drill instructor was actually a drill instructor, not yeah, an actor. I think he was brought on board, wasn't he, to try and coach the actor to be the drill instructor, and either Kubrick or whoever else decided. I'm not really going to get anyone better than you, so you can be the yeah. the role. Apparently, that guy's got his own program on one of the, one of the satellite um, channels. What, just shouting at people? Well, I don't think it's like that. But he's like doing sort of like yeah, f- like some forces stuff, or he's like, oh, this is how you need to like do some engineering. I think it's like one of those programs. It's just yeah. like, he's obviously gone on and like done that thing. And I just wonder, was that guy? actually like that so the drill instructor he portrays in Full Metal Jacket I wonder whether he was actually like that because <laughs> that, that is nuts because so this is Lee was, Lee Ermey is the actor's name as okay. Gunnery Sergeant Hartman I'm so just on Wikipedia what's interesting is obviously you have the private pile thing going on and it's just like if he was really like that and the drill instructor was that brutal now private pile you could say was like one of the weaker candidates but ended up in a bathroom with a gun shooting himself you go well that's really brutal and Hartman right Uh, and yeah and the drill instructor but it's really interesting you say about this being like potentially a shout for like one of the greatest films ever which it is but this is probably one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast because I reckon it is nigh on impossible to even come up with like a top 10 list of the greatest films of all time sure hard right but war films is really difficult but well that's why we're spreading it to genres a little bit yeah so one of the things I heard actually about Private Pile was that for part of the film he had to put on like a couple of stone only a couple. Like maybe because he's fairly that. lumpy, wasn't he? Yeah. So no disrespect to whoever the actor is, by the way. Yeah, but maybe maybe more than that though. But you know, he had to gain loads of weight to be that role. Wow. 
Okay. Which I'll try and fact check, but but it was awesome it was, film. It was one of those so like split in two. So the first bit was like his his an initiation program. And do you remember like they got the bars of soap to hit him because he he, he he did something wrong and they all had to do yeah, drills on the rifle or range or so something. In the middle like that. of the night, someone like clicks their fingers and they all jump down and went, cane him went with in on soap in a sock. Way. Doesn't leave a bruise. Absolutely brutal. Sure it does, but. Um, and then obviously once you go through that so it's like this is a film where you go god this is it's brutality I mean that it captured me because I think I was probably what well, 87 so I was 13 at the time should never have been watching a film like that and I well, probably didn't watch it in 87 I probably watched it when I was maybe 16 but that's my story about Saving Private Ryan that's probably why I'd say it's in there for that sentimental reason because I didn't watch Full Metal Jacket until I was a lot older right but one of the things I wanted to try and capture in this podcast was the year, which we've done, but also the, the box office. Oh. So Saving Private Ryan cost $70 million to make. and it brought in 70. $70. Yeah. this is. And it brought in $500 million. So that's a massive box office Huge success. box office. Spielberg, Huge. bang, right? Full Metal Jacket cost $30 million to make. Okay. So a lot less, yeah. but different era. I get 10, 10 years, years different. Yeah. Different production. How much do you reckon the Full Metal Jacket brought in the box office? Hmm. Um, and I'm going to ask you all these questions because you're you're more likely to get them right than I'm, me. I'm, I'm going to throw something out like 150. 120. Okay. So well, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Good shot. But yeah, going back to what you said as well, like it is a film that's almost cut in half between the experience of becoming a soldier and going through that journey and then I'm at war. So it's like... It's almost like part one and two. Yeah, and it's like, does does the preparation of the drill sergeant actually really prepare you for what's going on at the front line? And actually, when they get to the front line, it's quite brutal because there are moments where there's fuck all to do. Yeah. Or there was it's, almost a pre, it's almost a precursor to what was what was the film that came out with um, Jake Gyllenhaal. So I was actually going to talk about this as my honourable mention. So oh right, I want to okay. try and, no, no, but I don't want to talk about it in detail. But I want, we want to try and do some honourable mentions that aren't making these yeah. five lists. And mine was Jarhead. Yeah, that was it. And Jarhead. Jarhead, I feel, is actually just a remake of Full Metal Jacket. Interesting. But they're not talking about the fact that it's a remake, okay. but it's exactly the same format. Weird, there's a bit more mental health stuff in there, even sure. though Pyle goes crazy, but there's a lot more post-war mental health stuff yeah. in with Jarhead. Mm. But but that's but that's a difference in the, in, in the decades it was made in, and like there's much more awareness, yeah. whereas I think the Vietnam feels like that were coming out, because that was like maybe the Iraqi war, Jarhead. Mm. Right, so there's mo- much more awareness of post-traumatic it. stress disorder and all that kind of stuff going on. And this is why it's really important to talk about mm. not just films in general, but what comes out of films when they're made, how aware we are of the issues. So I think, yeah. yes, directors were making these sorts of films because... Yeah, not just to make money or just coin it in, but actually there's a message behind it. And, you know, Fourth of July is a classic one with Tom Cruise, honourable mention over there. Post-war, what happens to veterans and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't know if Full Metal Jacket really touched on it. It was just like, his brutality of war will have some of that. It doesn't, but Jarhead does to a little bit, but still Jarhead, I think, was a bit under the radar and it wasn't meant to be some Mm. sort of box office smash but Mm. the interesting thing for me Full Metal Jacket is cut in half and it's like you said you know sometimes nothing's going on they're not actually you know 
It's a bit of wine getting poured here, by the way. I bet that's getting picked up really nice on the mic. Look, it's a small glass of Stellenbosch. Small glass of Stellenbosch. Um, okay, so lovely. So, so cut in half, but but um, there's a lot of bits in Full Metal Jacket that's like uh, we're either at war and it's horrible, or we're like in a bar somewhere, right? But I feel like in Full Metal Jacket they obviously don't want to be at war. It's conscription again. It's horrible. Yeah. But in Jarhead, I think it's more of a voluntary thing. They want to be there. They're training to be soldiers. And I think there's moments in Jarhead actually where they're a bit like, "Let me kill someone. I'm here for action. I want yeah, it." And there's absolutely. a big scene with Jake Gyllenhaal like where they're, they're, he wants to sniper someone, yeah. and they call in an airstrike instead. And he's like, "I'm gutted. I'm like, yeah, that I'm was like, my kill. I'm young, <laughs> full of cum sort of thing. Yeah. And you won't let me pull my bloody trigger." <laughs> And that's interesting. I mean, take that. I mean, I was actually going to go down a completely weird slant here and apologise to the listeners. And I think almost like a really weird remake. You say about Jarhead, mm. like a, a film that was split in two, <laughs> Dusk Till Dawn, which is two completely different. Yeah. Just throwing that in the yeah. in the, in the curve there. I think. We'll I, I will come back to that. We'll come back to that. Like, later one. Jarhead's a good one in that I think, like they don't. For me, it literally feels like they're, they're not trying to hide it, but they're also not trying to say it is, which I think is mm. quite nice. But anyway, so actually, we've had two good ones there. We've had Full Metal Jacket, which we've both got, Saving Private Ryan, which I've got, but it's in the top five of IMDb. So I'll go next then, because I've got like I've got three left basically. And my next one's actually a bit of a curveball um, Enemy at the Gates. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's a sniper film, that's wasn't it? It's a sniper film. Yeah, Jude okay. Law. Jude it's about, Law. I need to look it up. It's about um, Russian sniper, like a famous one, if he existed, because there's a lot of oh, concern this, about this, propaganda. This is the guy who was like the world's best sniper. Yes, Billy Zatsyev. Had the biggest um, success kill rate yeah, or something like that. Huge amount of kills, yeah. Huge amount of kills. But it's, this is, is it a true story, right? I think it's another one that based loosely on, based on yeah. a true story. Um 2001 film. Okay. Uh, 70 million cost. 100 million at the box office. So okay. Probably a relative failure. I wasn't going to have a guess at that then, Jack. No, sorry. Thanks. <laughs> um, but 70 million pounds to make the film because it was quite stripped back. I reckon the sets on cost, that must have. Yeah. So big, big staffing cost. cost. If you look at, uh, so Jude Law. Rachel Weiss. He was established. Rachel Weiss definitely established. Joseph Fiennes. Yeah. Bob Hoskins and Ed Harris. Oh, Ed Harris. Yeah. So, interestingly enough there, you've known two actors who turn up in two of my other okay. films. Yeah. Jude Law. Yeah. No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, so... Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss. So the reason I really like the film, though, is it's... It's a little bit political. There's a there's this big sort of fight basically between Jude Law and Ed Harris's characters you know, to be the best. So was was he a Russian sniper then? Or Jude was Law was yeah. yeah. I think Ed Harris is an SS soldier. Right. Okay. Look this up. So while we're talking, I'll, I'll look it up. But um, basically, they send out Ed Harris to capture or kill yeah. Jude Law because he's he's you know a massive bit of propaganda who's killing loads of people but there's a few undertones in there there's a story about Sasha a young kid who's sort of Ed Harris's bootshine boy but he's also one of the Russians so he's like a double agent and, and okay. Ed Harris knows that and he's, there's lots of double cross going on and there's this really strong underlying love story between 
Jude Law and Rachel Vice. Love that. Joseph Fiennes is such a strong actor, but it was one of those films that I saw and I was actually like, this is really good. I really like this. Like, again, it's not trying to be anything. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's being made to try and hit the Oscar Academy um, judges, but it does a really nice job about telling a story. Well, I think that's probably in 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 a lot of respects. What I like is. Who was the director for that? Jean-Jacques Arnaud. Okay. So, um, he, you know... He hasn't done much, to be honest. So somebody wants to tell a story, not really fussed about the success of it, but there's a story to be told. And I absolutely love the fact that in any war, there are numerous untold box office stories but things that we just don't know about that you might pick up a story and somebody thinks that's worthy of bringing to film yeah and I think it is and you know there's some listeners might think it's a fairly weak war film because that has made my top five list in the absence of potentially something like The Pianist okay. which people would argue with but you know it's my my choice so screw you whatever <laughs> um, but again I, re- I just really liked it there's some great stuff in there like you said, that maybe a lot of the cost was in the scenes and the production because how, how graphic was that? Because I think it was it was one of those like it was almost felt like a bit of a slow burn, like a suspense one because it's lots, sniper lots of it's and like, a lot of nothing again, yeah. a lot of war torn, decimated cities and towns, mm. and obviously he's a sniper, right? So he's spending 90 percent of his time literally waiting, doing. He's got to be on his game yeah. all the time. Steady trigger, Big targets, just waiting, waiting for that maybe even a split second just mm. to take somebody out who's lost a little bit of concentration and just gone. Is yeah. that the hit? Can I do this yeah. one? I like that. I like so yeah, that's why that's why that's in my head. Yeah. So, um, what else you got? So I, I've had two. You've had one. That Stellenbosch is all right, by the way. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, Other alternative wines are available. Mm. So, um, I'll move away from a, a typical classic war film, but a war film that crosses multiple genres, but I think is worthy of a mention here, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, which has the backdrop of the American Civil War, and really important because I think a film that was, uh, was probably in the 60s, um, just trying to think. Yeah, that, it when, was when that film it was, was made. When do you reckon? When, no, when do you reckon it was released? Well, um, late sixties. So I'll probably go for sixty-seven. Sixty-six. Oh, okay. But sad. I, I can remember this film because um, I think my father grew up with Clint Eastwood. Encouraged me to watch spaghetti westerns. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember as a child watching pretty much every single spaghetti western, like Fistful of Dollars, all this kind of stuff. Um, but the good of the band, the ugly for me, stands out. Yes, the music by Ennio Morricone was absolutely iconic. But here's a film which I think is nigh on three hours, but just doesn't drop. 177 minutes, to be exact. Okay. So, yes. But but just doesn't drop the tension or anything. And it's so poignant. The music is great. And there's so many things in it. And it's a Western, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's. 
but it is. But you've got the Civil War undertone, obviously, so there's going to be a theme probably in a couple of these episodes where I'm going to say to John, I've not seen a film and you're going to go mental. I have seen The Good, Bad, The Ugly, but I probably haven't seen it for a good 15 years or something, okay. so I need to rewatch it. But so it's, it's, it's one of those films that if it's on TV, I like late at night, I'm flicking through, typically at Christmas holidays. Yeah, it was released I at like, Christmas. I should be going to bed at 11 o'clock and I'll just have a quick flick through the satellite channels and all of a sudden I find myself seeing the good, the bad, the ugly and I'll I'll end up going to bed at half two in the morning but I'll still watch it because it's on TV rather than just put a DVD on. So the thing that grabs me about films like this is underproduced, you know, like you think about a film that comes out in the last 20 years, there's a cast of thousands that are doing sound visuals, CGI, stuff like this. I wouldn't say it's a gritty film, but from my memory, you know, it's it's basic, but it's drawn, like you said, on oh, it's, action, it's, politics, acting, it's, also big picture scenes. Yeah, it's, it's a Western with a big, what I call a big um, picture scape and a big soundscape, and it's... It's got comedy in it as well. Yeah. Really dark uh, comedy. And I think Clint Eastwood is perfectly cast with two other leads in there. Eli Wallach, which is, he's, he plays an amazing um, character. Obviously the ugly. And you've got Lee Van Cleef playing the bad. And obviously cut all the way to the end. Angel Eyes. Angel he plays Eyes, yeah. You go all the way through this story where they get captured. They're also trying to get each other out because what we've kind of got is an early example of the MacGuffin, which is, well, what are they actually after? And it's this pot of gold in a cemetery. And they end up in this cemetery going through this massive journey where they think they've killed each other off, but they're trying to get information out of each other. So it's like a thriller as well. And they go to a nunnery, a... and they go through the war, they get this conscript thing, they go into prisoner of war camp and all this kind of stuff. And it just ends in this classic scene where there's three of them in what is now called the Mexican standoff. And they're all yeah. like, well, who's going to go then? Yeah. Who's having it? And you get this lovely bit of direction where they're cutting from character to character to character and doing close-ups on faces and then close-ups in the eyes. It's absolutely so beautiful. But I don't want to go off on a tangent here as well, but obviously, you like, you think, you look at a director, and we'll, we'll cover directors in another one, but a director like Tarantino, he's influenced mm. so much by that sort of play, the, the Mexican standoff, yeah. the face-cutting, the suspense, yeah. and you look at a film like Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. It, look at the Mexican standoff yeah. in Reservoir Dogs, yeah. right? And it's, it's all there. And even he, he did the Hateful Eight, which is something apparently he wanted to do for years and years. And yeah. years. It's a big western, yeah. but it just fell behind in the pecking order. Massive problem. I've just, I've just read something on Wikipedia, right? So Van Cleef as Angel Eyes, the director Sergio Leone actually wanted Enrico Maria Salerno okay. to play that role. And that person who was somebody who dubbed. Eastwood's voice in the Dollars trilogy films, okay, yep. but he, but Van Cleef did it in the end. But even Van, he wasn't even the second choice. He wanted Charles Bronson to play. Wow. Him, right? well, obviously Charles Bronson was huge at the time yeah. because he did this Dirty Seven Dozen. Samurai remake, yeah. of like the Magnificent Seven, right? And it was just like in there you had a star-studded cast. 
quite established actors. Yeah. I think Eastwood was always a front runner to play that role because he'd done yeah. the, the the few dollars more just um, for the dollars and stuff. Yeah. But then, but then you also got like Van Cleef playing angel eyes. Yeah. Van Cleef's got like he's got that lovely set of eyes. Absolutely. So massive film actually, probably really nice one to put in there because it's it is a war film, but it's something a bit different. It's a big film, and I bet that film shows up on a lot of big lists. So can we do the um, box office? Box office, yes. Yeah, so so how much does that film cost to make? So obviously I think it's that was quite big. I know it's sixty-seven. So relatively, one point two million to make. Okay, so I don't know if you've got like a, I've only got the North fa- American box office figure. Don't know what the inflated value would be. So. 1.2 to make in the 60s. I mean, I go for 10 million. 25. Okay. So, so even back then, though. Relatively, that's made big. 25 times as much yeah. as it cost to make, which is huge. That's a massive success, isn't it? So big film, big success. Okay. Um, so I've thrown a bit of a curveball, which is really a Western. Um, yeah, but I did I did with Enemy of the Gates. So, so I'm going to go now on one which I'm embarrassed to admit but I'm going to admit so this is a film that I only saw probably 12 months ago 18 months ago at your bequest okay well I know what it is so Deer Hunter Mm. so you know a film that I'd never seen before I'd I'd heard and obviously in spoofs I'd seen the the roulette scenes and stuff and I know I've heard about De Niro and walking and stuff, but it's just a film that I never put together. So, 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 you, I mean, in a in a personal journey, there it wasn't never hit your radar sort of thing. You heard about it, but it was just like, and it's an interesting one because it's a slow burn. I mean, Meryl Streep's in that it's a film. long film as well, right? Yeah, I mean, it's about some over guys, three hours long. It's, it's guys from the Rust Belt um, doing their thing, and it starts off with guys going hunting. But kind of getting back together after the after the war, and the dynamic has changed and stuff like that. And they've got sweethearts at home. Yeah. And actually, how the war has affected them and stuff. It's it's a really touching film. Big, well, a film for me that I was like, this is one of the greatest films I've never seen, yeah. out of nowhere. Okay. And I've you know I've lived my life and not seen this. So, 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 so. And and actually, embarrassingly again for me, I'm such a massive De Niro fan. So, so um, what did you think when you saw it? What 18 months ago? Because obviously the standout scene for me is when they get captured by the Viet Cong. It's just like they're horrible. in there doing the Russian roulette thing. Yeah, but well, yeah. But also they're getting bullied and and like actually bullied is probably they're getting psychologically torn down by the Viet Cong, right? Yeah. But they're not getting necessarily that badly physically abused. It's just they're getting shouted at and punished and you know they don't know what's going on well they're, 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 being, they're being forced to put, to put a gun to their head yeah. and they're betting on it but I mean outside of that you know it's just like they don't want to be there and stuff but I don't know so for me like watching it about 18 months ago and I've seen it again since it's a film that I think you need to probably watch three or four times to, to soak up everything because obviously you've got the roulette story you've got like you said couple of guys from a local town and they've got their mates and their wives and they play pool and drink yeah. and they have lock-ins and stuff like yeah. that but also you've got the deer hunting element which in a way is you could cut out of the entire film like but I get that there's a really nice storytelling undertones that you've got the start of the film and then you've also got right at the end right with the and, and the cinematography of the deer and the wilderness and stuff it's big big stuff right but I, I was just shocked I hadn't seen a film so big 
with De Niro in because yeah. I'm a massive fan of De Niro yeah, it's and interesting. we'll try and squeeze in an episode which will just be our own top five somehow yeah. we'll try and do it but obviously one of my top five it w- would be Sleepers okay. which is De Niro yeah, you know, he's not the main character. But he's in it as the vicar, yeah. right? As a priest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic so I, I must. I. I. I need to Wikipedia De Niro, but I'm. I'd be easily seventy-five percent of his films I should have seen. Yeah, I mean, so to not see this. Did De Niro up until maybe the year two thousand? It was like it was a go-to sort of thing. Obviously, yeah. doing lots of tie-ins um, with uh, almost like becoming a mafia. Um, God, sort of like you know, Goodfellas, Casino, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, Scorsese, obviously doing the Taxi Driver, um, doing Mean Streets as well. That was all. It, that was kind of his bag. But obviously, just threw in like the Deer Hunter somewhere and just go. That's big. Yeah. So and Christopher Walken, absolutely standout performance. Absolutely heartbreaker. And a big role though, not a joke role. I've got not to a say, gimmick role, yeah. a character role. I think actually it's probably in terms of pure acting that's one of my best performances I've ever seen any actor do in my life. I just think that's so stand out. It really brings it home and it's so effective. So it's nominated for for nine Academy Awards and it won five and he got Best Supporting Actor for it. Okay. Okay, that's good. But they also got... Uh, best sound, best film editing, best director, best picture. Who directed that one? Samino. Okay, yeah, that's right, yeah. And he did a couple of other things, didn't he? Um, I don't know if it was like a trilogy or something like that. But anyway. and, and, and in terms of how much it cost to make... What year first? Oh, Deer Hunter's 70s. And I what year it is while I look up what else Samino has done? Because he's, he's not made many films, mate, <laughs> to be honest. No, but no, a lot think, of war films. I think it's three or four films he's made. Yeah. Like, literally... Deer Hunter was a standout one. I reckon that was maybe 77. No, I'm a way off. No, 78. Oh, my God. 78 in Los Angeles, 79 for the rest of the states. They staggered it over three months, December to February. Anyway, so box office. Um, I reckon that cost a fair few quid to make. Again, different eras, but yeah. 15 million to make. Okay. But so ten years later than the Good, Bad, the Ugly, sure, and cost fifteen times as much. But also, very different film because yeah. of the amount of Oscars it's picked up and the accolades and what have you. I reckon that was a, such a big film, fifteen million. I reckon that probably coined in two hundred. Interesting, you say that. Before I give you the answer, I'm going to caveat all these facts and figures I'm getting off stuff like IMDB, Wikipedia, so if there's any listeners that are like, actually it was different, I'm just reading what's out there, right, and probably doesn't include DVD sales, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we need to qualify that. And also, the budget costs, I think, are mainly just production, not marketing, because I reckon you could probably double the cost, right? So it's basic, I think, stuff like Wikipedia and IMDB. Box office took 45 million. Wow. So three times it took... Three times, and I, think I wonder what other films were released at the time to, to, to cause that. And I think that's another conversation, isn't it? About why didn't they take as much as what they could have done? Because in '76, what other big films were out there? Maybe The Exorcist or something like that. Something sorry, do you know what I mean? Okay, that's great. So, I'm just I'm friendly of you trying to find was what that else. Your, was. Um, that was, so that was in mine as well. Is, take it that wasn't in yours. 
That wasn't it, mine actually. Okay. No. Interesting. But a, but, a, but still an absolutely tremendous shout. So I've got, I've, I've got um, a little bit of a curveball because right. I reckon I could guess a couple of yours. By the way, but obviously I've got two. I've got one left now. Okay, so and I, you've I've got two left, right? Maybe maybe I'll go a couple. You can have one. Um, this was a film that really affected me. I went to the cinema to see it. Um, I'm not going to say it's Toy Story because really, that doesn't count. Right. Because it's a, a great, film. great war film. Yeah. <laughs> um, went to the cinema and it's probably the only film that was a packed audience and we all sat through the end credits in absolute stunned silence. So is this a is this a, a war film or is it like a good bad the ugly style? No, it's a war film. Big war film. So true, there's there's true th- story. Okay, so there's a couple that I'll be like, right, they have to be in there's a couple left that we have to cover at least yeah, yeah. by ourselves. And I've only got one of the ones that I would say, so I'm gonna go for the one that I don't in platoon. Okay. Is that it? No. Interesting. And so it, so platoon's not on my list. Platoon's not on my list either, even okay. though I watched that only a couple of weeks ago. Such a big film. Huge. Oliver Stone trilogy. But it's not made it. So Such um, a big cast as well, Jesus Christ. Like this, I huge. need to check on that cast as how many were established famous actors at the time of that film or whether it made them. Well, but anyway, well, we'll Platoon's not on either of our list, so really let's not talk about it. But obviously... <laughs> anyway, so, 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 what, so what was your film? The, the film I'm talking about was... Uh, Schindler's List. Okay, so and fairly heavy. Very heavy film, but it is a war film, so you know you don't expect it to be a a light comedy. Although I do have almost a comedy war film in here, which won lots of Oscars, which I'll come back to. Is okay. An outside. Would that be an honourable mention for you? An honourable mention. So Schindler's List, obviously Liam Neeson's uh, magnus opus, or opus yeah. magnus, whatever it is. Yeah. And I was going to say, because you've mentioned this actor before, but you said Joseph Fiennes. I think, actually, sorry, it's this Ray Fiennes, yeah. isn't it? Who played the really nasty um, German uh, commander. Yeah, it's Ralph Fiennes, yeah. Running one of the um, uh, uh, labour camps. But, but Ben Kingsley's in it as well, right? Ben Kingsley's in Not it. the biggest fan of Ben Kingsley. I know what you mean. Um, but, but you know, he made his name in Gandhi, so fine. Yeah, meh, but I didn't. I didn't know that actually. If that's if that's Liam Neeson's like launch film sort of thing. I don't think it was his launch film, but I mean, he brought was in the other, attention. Yeah, it was in other, But the fact that it's a black and white film, and the only colour in that film are like the odd splashes of red, and there's a girl in a red coat, and there's yeah. a couple of other things in there. So, so one thing I distinctly remember that film, and I hope this is right, is right towards the end, I think, where he feeds that little girl a peach or an apricot or something. Yeah. She, I think she's just escaped or just been released or something. Yeah. And obviously then doesn't make it. Yeah. But it's utterly harrowing. moment of freedom yeah. and a moment of actually everything's all right. Yeah. But it brings it back. 
but there's there are some really I mean it's a Spielberg film yeah. he's, he's really turning it on I think here's a true story that needs to be told absolutely needs to be told and about a guy who actually was a crook utterly bent but just trying to do something good out of an absolute atrocity and saving kids and families and trying to get them out of basically yep. certain death and what have you so but there are some scenes in that film which are just incredible but it's, again it's Spielberg isn't it right yeah. so he knows what he's doing but so some quick facts on it 12 Oscar nominations okay. it won 7 Decent. best picture best director best adapted screenplay best original score Seven bastards, three groups. Is the best actor? Um, Any actors or? Let me just check. While I'm checking, what year do you think? So that would have been 1992? Oh, 93. Why am I one year out? You're one year out. You realise maybe you're just like. Holding one back, carry the one. So, best picture, best director, best adapted screenplay, best original score, best film editing, best cinema photography, best art direction. Neeson and Fines got nominated for acting, and the supporting actor didn't win. Again, I don't want to get into a hole, but who won that year if they didn't? So, 93, what other big films were in that year? We'll we'll, we'll have to digress because. No, let's digress because. it's okay. the internet, right? So we can find the information. Well, obviously, but so if Neeson has lost Best Actor to somebody and Ralph Fiennes, and it, this is interesting, right? Because sometimes I think the supporting actor, whilst they're in that supporting role, they do a better job than the actors that win sure. the actor thing. And I was saying this the other day, the other day to you about the Revenant. Oh yes. And that finally DiCaprio gets his Oscar, but I thought Hardy was better than DiCaprio in the film. I hear that. So, you know. So anyway. Best actor, ah, best actor, ninety-three. Would you reckon? Come well, on. You're, you're saying that, but I'm thinking <laughs> you, you've got things like. Oh, and actually, I don't. Mm, best supporting actor is a best supporting actor. DiCaprio lost in the same year for Eating Gilbert Grape. Oh, I love Eating Gilbert Grape. John Malkovich in The Line of Fire and Pete Postlewaite in The Name of the Father. So those were the nominees, and the winner for best supporting actor was Tommy Lee Jones for The Fugitive. Wow. Yeah. Oh my so god. So I think the, the Academy might have been like, we can't give Schindler's List another one. So I'm thinking. But don't you be. You're on your phone, don't cheat. No, I'm not cheating. You're saying for best actor, do you want me to give you the nominees? Yes, excluding please. the winner. So you've got Liam Neeson for Schindler's List. Is this including the winner? Excluding the winner. No, I need to hear who the nominees are. Including the winner. And I'll give you the film. No, because you'll get the winner, because you'll know the winner as soon as I, I declare it. Okay, as then. soon as I name it because it, you know, it's obvious because you'll know that they won the Oscar for that Okay. so I'm going to leave them out well, I need so the film then Liam Neeson because you'll get that as well oh. Liam Neeson Schindler's List Anthony Hopkins Remains of the Day Lawrence Fishburne what's love got to do with it Wow. Daniel Day-Lewis in the name of the father and I'm like the biggest fan of Daniel so Day-Lewis so Daniel Day-Lewis did not win an Oscar <laughs> yeah. are you kidding me yeah so they've lost to this actor who big actor big actor Big film. Tom Hanks. Big topic. Forrest Gump. No. Um, 93. It's Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Come on. Yes. Another Spielberg connection. Oh, you know, Tom God, Hanks' yes. favourite. But big film, big topic. Big time as well. You know, the whole huge, AIDS thing huge, in the 90s, right? Wasn't it? Yeah. So obviously, Neeson's not won that, which is fine. 
but it's all sort of like sliding doors <laughs> wrong look, time wrong place but if you look back on that year you thought probably, probably want to be giving out a couple of Oscars there a big then, year for films other years will be like Christ how's that person won an Oscar yeah, yeah, yeah. oh it's because there's no, nothing else out that time big year for films right so that's Schindler's List it's, I'm just going to finish on Schindler's we've got to do box office yet I'm well, just going to yeah. finish on Schindler's yeah okay but finish yeah go on why everybody was sat in the uh, film because the end of the film when the end credits come up they basically showed the survivors laying stones at the uh, memorial yeah and it was just like it was just so like stunned into silence and it's like if it wasn't just sat there just watching the stuff everybody would have stand up and, and applauded that's that's like the the effect it had yeah and I remember going to the pub afterwards that is my baby monitor bleeping nice. I remember going to uh, the pub afterwards with a mate of mine and we were kind of like sat there thinking <sighs> actually just gonna go home now <laughs> and just like it was not a kind of like we're going yeah. for a night out yeah. it was just like wow just that think about this so, for a couple of days. so deep so what, Great. what do you think on box office then well, how much did it cost to make? Because probably quite big. There's Cheap. Like Ninety-three. Thing is, a lot of cinematography there. There's a couple of actors, but production's fairly simple, right? So, what are we talking like? Eighty million. Twenty-two million. Wow. Okay. In ninety-three, so that's like super cheap, right? I think so. Yeah. Considering Waterworld cost something like the entire GDP of several of the countries <laughs> yeah, in the planet right, in yeah, the 90s, exactly. right? So, um, twenty million to make. And what do you reckon it's taken? Are you telling me? What what was the previous one we talked about that cost fifteen million? Was that Deer Hunter? Deer Hunter cost fifteen million in seventy. When was it? Seventy eight. Yeah, seventy eight. And like fifteen years later, it still cost twenty million to make Schindler's List. Yeah. What's interesting about this question is, I went to the cinema to see this, and at the time, the only other films that I was really going to see were Reservoir Dogs, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which wouldn't have made a lot of money. I reckon that probably pulled in. Hundred and eighty. So, I know we, that was going in your mind after you went to two hundred. Yeah, I went too high. Film. So one hundred eighty. So, one eighty. Three hundred twenty-two. That's huge. <laughs> Absolutely done in the arse. Excuse me, <laughs> listeners, but that is bang out of order because I've been throwing a curveball there by Jack. That's yeah. really out of order. Three hundred twenty-two, so absolutely it, killed me. It's been released everywhere, basically. Everybody watched it. Um, so I've got one left. So so should you. Yep. Hit me. My last one, and again, if you if you've passed up Platoon, you cannot pass this one up. Okay. So so do I need to guess what one that you're gonna throw in here? Yeah. This is my last in the top five. Bearing in mind all the others we've named and the honourable mentions we've given and the ones we passed up. So this has got to be I'm a big hoping, film. I'm hoping our our last. And again, listeners, this isn't in order. It's just our top five. I'm hoping the last ones we've got left each is the same film. Well, it has to be. If it is only one film and it is the best war film of all time. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just no, of course not because it's no order, but it is yeah. still the best war film of all time and probably in the top 10 films of all time. It's got to be Apocalypse Now. It is Apocalypse Now. Yes. Nailed it. Um, okay, just so, tell me about your experience. So, I've probably watched this more because of Coppola 
yeah. than because of the film. So I okay. probably found it in a period of time where I was just seeking out big films and seeking out a couple of film. Obviously, it was released before I was born. What year, do you know? <sighs> that would have been... 80... Um, 80... I'm going to go with it. Late 80s, and I'm probably going to go with 88. You are so far out of town. Am I? You are no, it's not a 70s. Not even the same it? decade, It's mate. 70s, yeah. isn't it? Jesus, I am so poor now. What is in this Stellenbosch? <laughs> it's 79. Oh, my God. I was, I'm a decade out You're a decade I'm out I'm so there, poor at films. terrible. Why am I even so on this podcast? So, the thing that got me about it was actually the cast, because big fan of Brando but different role for him um, I grew up always a massive fan of actually the Sheen family yes um, but more because of so you're talking Emilio Estevez I'm talking all Emilio that kind Estevez, of stuff yeah. yeah exactly so actually big, big fan of Emilio Estevez because when I was younger uh, my mother actually sh- made me watch I didn't make me watch you know she showed me uh, a lot of Richard Dreyfuss films yes big fan of Richard Dreyfuss yeah. and he was in a film with Emilio Estevez called Stakeout yes and I was like right love Emilio Estevez why what's, what's Emilio Estevez's story I'm going on a massive tangent here but obviously the Sheens the, yep. the Estevez's landed thought we can't be called the Estevez's because we'll never get a role uh, Charlie and Martin changed their names Emilio didn't um, so also that I think Martin Sheen has his own kind of charisma right but uh, Robert Duvall as well big big film yeah. uh, probably a film that I watched at the time didn't know who Lawrence Fishburne was yeah so I probably only knew him from The Matrix and not in it that much he's just like yeah, a just, guy just one of the on guys, a boat one of the guys on the boat um, do, you know, do you know who's in the opening sequence that you haven't named, who's a massive Hollywood star. So, of the other Huge. of the other people that are in the film, yeah. Dennis Hopper. So Dennis Hopper is in it, but not in the opening sequence. Who's in the opening sequence? Then? Harrison Ford. Is it? Yes. Absolute curveball. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Where's that come from then? Yeah. Just absolutely. 79 though as well so well he, I mean he's done Star Wars by yeah, then right yeah I know so but he plays a small part mm. weird what a weird like well, where's that come from yeah why the hell's Harrison Ford in Apocalypse Let's have a look now at what he does. Harrison Ford is Colonel G. Lucas his character is named after George Lucas Colonel G. Lucas oh my god Awful. oh my god can you believe that I never knew who that. was involved in the script's early development oh my god Ooh. so George Lucas was involved in the script's development but that's he's not, interesting he's not named so it's directed by Coppola produced by Coppola written by John Milius and Coppola I'm frantically looking up John Milius now see what else he's okay. written so but you know what this is based on don't you John Millis, he's done The Devil's Eight, Jeremiah Johnson, Apocalypse Now. Uh, was it a book or was it. So it's a book. Is it The Heart of Darkness? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. By Joseph so Conrad. I've not read that, but I heard. I remember so, hearing. Yeah. So that was another podcast we want to do is 
based on the book, mm. this could hit mm. that. But I've never read Heart of Darkness. So that's based upon um, um, not the Vietnam War, but going down the Belgian Congo, okay. the Heart of Darkness. It's basically like J.J. Conrad. I mean, it's 120 pages long or whatever. You, yeah, you, know, okay. you could do it in Simple. an evening sort of thing, yeah. And it's just like, here we go. Here's a director that needs to do his take on it. And there's so many things about Marlon Brando. <laughs> so, like, how much it cost him to be in that film. So we'll get into box office in a minute, but there'll be facts about Marlon Brando and how much they had to pay him yeah, just to, to do basically it. the last sequence in that and they were paying him like a million dollars a day and he was apparently a complete yeah, I nightmare bet it was. I mean I, that's why I said never not a hugest fan of Marlon Brando either but different film for him but I, I can never get Marlon Brando Last Tango in Paris out of my head okay and the butter and buggery scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. As, as iconic as Marlon Brando. So this guy, though, John Millius, by the way, okay. who wrote this, also wrote Dirty Harry, or was involved in writing Dirty Harry, also was involved in writing Jaws. Okay. I'm skipping loads of films here, but I'm naming Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> right, well, classic. That's a different genre altogether. Hunt for Red October. Stellenbosch. Yes, please. So some big films. Um... But yeah, so I, I think I mean it's it's actually probably the perfect film to finish on because it's it's so big, not necessarily complex but gritty and hard. But one one fifty three minutes, so not as long as some of the other big ones. Um, but another Kong, another Viet Cong, Cambodia, you know, helicopters. I could I tell you that um, when I was when I watched that film, I was at university and I was doing my thesis on um, Joseph Conrad and he did Secret Agent and some other stuff and I watched that film because I was, I'd read uh, The Heart of Darkness and I got okay. literally three quarters of the way through the film and I had to stop it, it was just so Too intense much. and yeah. hard and um, it really spanned me out but it but sticks done in my job mind right. like, well you've got that famous scene where Duval stands up and says, I love the smell of napalm in the morning and it's just like they had to hire in the helicopters for that yeah. scene who were fighting a war over the border and just go can you do yeah, this come do this us? come do this for the American crazy. public and that, that, that film almost didn't come because the budget was being blown out of the water so I've got facts coming out of my okay. ear here about this right so Coppola starts finding locations for this during the wrap-up and promotion of Godfather Part 2. Yeah, So okay. he's already on this, right? Steve McQueen was the first choice for Willard. Okay. But he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to be away from America for so long yeah. for the filming. Um, so Sheen had a heart attack. He was on, like, 80 Marlboro Reds a day. Yeah, he was off his nuttal acid. I'm sure. So, second choice... For Willard, Al Pacino. Okay. Same reason, didn't want to so, be away for so long. So a tie in here with like the Coppola stuff, right? Yeah, and then the roles of Kurtz and Willard went to Jack Nicholson, Robert Redford, James Kahn, Tommy Lee so Jones, big, Keith Carradine, Nick Nolte, and Frederick Forrest. Uh, what was Frederick Forrest in? Was he in Platoon or was he in. Don't know. I Another to one to do that. So huge, um, huge amount. Uh, facts there um, 
Martin Sheen's role, it says here, that actually he only got because he went for a role in The Godfather, didn't get it, and Coppola was like, nice. you're good, but not for The Godfather. And actually, as a spin-off, The Godfather, if you've got the... Um is a DVD box set. You remember, like in the nineties, oh, yes. when they were releasing DVDs, and part of the features where they were showing screen tests. Yeah. So you actually had the likes of Pacino and De Niro and James Caan doing screen tests for The Godfather. Okay. And you go really big actors, and like that's how Coppola and the industry was working around that film at the time. It's like this is going to be massive because yeah. it's obviously the Mario Puzzi mafia film. We're going to bring this to life. We need the best of the best of the best. Yeah. And it went, these guys went through a screen test. Yeah. Are you kidding me? But then I guess I can see a Mexican who wanted to be an American actor doesn't get an Italian role. But, you know, as bad as that sounds, it probably was mm. not too far from the truth. But um, there's probably another podcast in roles that didn't go to the first choice or whatever yeah or, definitely you know, yeah. the biggest roles you never knew were offered to somebody else or whatever. exactly and actually I, I couldn't imagine Martin Sheen being in The Godfather right <sighs> well you don't know but you know. because obviously now the entire cast of all those films went into yeah. Sopranos everything exactly. else you know. all became like huge stars yeah box office openers um so how much did that film actually cost to make? Because I'm really interested. Because I reckon that was, I reckon you're not talking 10, so you're, 20, you're 50. A decade out with the. the so a decade out, so it's a 70s film. Yeah. But I reckon that was a massive budget because I, and I don't know if I'm right here, but Coppola obviously riding on the success of The Godfather because that was a probably big could get some money Oscar behind it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I reckon that was probably a hundred million to make. Right, because of all the stuff and that on on location stuff, I so think it almost went bankrupt. So it I almost think didn't make it. If if judging by the figures that I've got or anything to go by, the fact that I didn't see Deer Hunter until eighteen months ago ever has been fully redeemed by your guesses at Apocalypse Now being so so far out, right. in a decade out in the year, and it cost thirty million to make. <laughs> what Apocalypse Now? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. How much do you reckon it took at the box office? Um, uh, 120. Ooh, 150. Okay, well, yeah. I'm, I'm a bit back in the gate there. Yeah. So I don't know how many, if it won many awards. Nominated for eight. And went on to win Best Cinematography and Best Sound. See, for me... And it's a different podcast now, but if if you were to make a film now, like a really standout film now, how much would it cost to make, and how many Oscars would it get? Because people are still making war films and Vietnam films, right? If you made Apocalypse Now and you put that on screen, obviously, how much would it cost to make? But how much interest would you get oh, out of it? I mean, that would I be know what you mean huge. So, so they do do inflation-related costs and box office takings it's really interesting so the 52nd academy awards that apocalypse now was nominated for eight awards at it obviously lost quite heavily to the in consistent winner was it 78 consistent winner in that year um in in 80 it was in 1980 yeah so it was december 78 released in 79 in some other countries next round in 80 right so Best actor wasn't even nominated. 
best supporting actor Robert Duvall lost to not much I've heard of Melvin Douglas in being there okay Anything different podcast that, that. Yeah. we'll do some okay. research um, the, the film that has killed it across the board in this year was Kramer vs. Kramer oh, God, so it's right. got best picture best director best actor um, it's got two nominations for best supporting actress and won one of them Meryl Streep Yes, um, that's right. Yeah, it had a no- so it basically was nominated across the board. Who was the best actor for that? That year, Melvin Douglas. No, that's not Kramer versus Kramer. Justin Henry was nominated. Right. Okay. But yeah, um, but other other losers that year though, best picture, all that jazz, Apocalypse Now, Breaking Away, Norma Ray, best director, you know, said most of those films. Best actor, Al Pacino, Lost and Justice for All. Peter Sellers being there so it's a big year but um, obviously <sighs> best actress Sally Field for Norma Ray actually which is interesting really Sally Field wow yeah. I was going to put in a, um, a little bit of a war film um, what was an honourable mention at the end it's a um, film which I only recently watched and um It's about um, Nazi occupation and all this kind of stuff, and it's it's basically I think on IMDb a class is a comedy drama, right? But it's called Life Is Beautiful, okay. And I think that cleaned up at the Academy Awards, and it's about a family trying to escape, you know, the the uh, Nazi occupation okay. of Poland. Oh, right. I only watched it maybe maybe three years ago and I, and I think it was like a film that was released, released late into the 90s okay. and I was like oh I've never seen that one so it's one that's just slipped under the radar so to- total curveball I mean yeah. all the listeners might have seen this and gone well why haven't you mentioned that but it's like that was yeah. like well I'm sure there's lots of others that we haven't mentioned so don't worry it's too much get in touch and stuff um, and I haven't mentioned Casablanca either no Gone with the Wind you could put in there probably bang lovely right, which I think Gone with the Wind actually technically is the highest grossing film of all time with adjustment with adjustment yeah but, definitely yeah, so that's probably another podcast as well because that you can't really dispute the, the highest grossing but exactly. we'll do that um, but anyway yeah so that probably wraps it up I guess great to talk about uh, war films yeah hopefully we'll have another which, podcast we skipped a few big ticket discussions in there which is good I mean you got in some Shinzo's this chat which is probably fairly heavy but um We'll be back soon with another podcast, but obviously get in touch as well if you've got any top five themes you want us to cover. But we're going to try and do comedy, horror, based on the book, top five actors of ours, sentimental, you know, all of these types of things. Top five directors. Top five directors, top five Oscar winners, top five Oscar losers, all these types of things. Coming of age films is one I wanted to do. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, we'll hit that up and... Um, Thanks everybody for listening. This was the top five with Jack and John.